Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host Joanna, let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome back. I'm your host Joanna and today I'm joined by Christine Vogt. She's the Director for the Centre of Sustainable Tourism in the School of Community Resources and Development at Arizona State University and Dr Vogt um, has been conducting research for over 20 years in the areas of recreation, parks, tourism and natural resources, more specifically in the area of tourism and recreational planning. She also has a PhD in leisure studies and today we've got a topic I'm particularly excited about which is travel and we'll be discussing productive travel today so let's get started. Hi Christine it's so lovely to have you here with us today. Hi Joanna thank you for having me. No it's my pleasure. Um, Before we get started did you want to introduce yourself to everyone who doesn't know you and just with a bit about who you are and what it is you do? So like you shared in the introduction Um, I'm a a faculty member and uh, have been faculty at Arizona State as well as Michigan State University across my career. And I live in the United States. And besides being a faculty of tourism, I'm also an avid traveler myself. Beautiful. Um, And you've got some amazing body of work and research um, to your name. Do you mind telling us a bit more about that? So I'm an empirical researcher, which means I go out in the field and I survey and interview and observe people taking trips and particularly spending time in nature and parks. And I've done several um, extended diary studies where we're asking people questions on a daily basis of how they feel and what they're doing. And I enjoy working with national and like federal agencies like the Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, the National Park Service, as well as community tourism agencies like Convention and Visitor Bureaus. And I've had graduate students come to study with me from all over the world. And in recent years, I've particularly uh, had a lot of students from Asia. And not just um, China or India as large countries, but also countries like Korea, Japan, Taiwan. And I did a fellowship at the uh, Singapore National Parks about eight years ago, which was a highlight of my career. Wow, you definitely have done so much. That is so impressive. Um, Now we're just going to get into some get to know the guest questions. Um, So this is where I'm just going to ask you some more personal questions that aren't really related to the topic so we can just get to know you a bit better. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you if you're a book person and if you have a favorite book or anything you can recommend to us. Yes, I have been reading a lot since covid And I actually just recently finished this book that I pulled off of like a share your book kind of shelf. And it's called Homegoing. And it's by an author from Ghana, um, Giyasi. And this was her first novel. And it was intriguing because it was about two stepsisters that were um, born in Africa and had sort of different pathways in terms of slavery And the one sister married someone and you thought her path was going to be positive and sort of out of slavery. And the other sister um, would be sort of subjected to slavery and poverty for most of her life. And the it's written in a generational perspective and it's like changes their paths like cross and go the ways you wouldn't expect. And so homegoing is implying one of the stepsisters with their like siblings and kids end up coming back to Africa free. So I found it a, to be a well-written, intriguing book, and it's fun to read 
uh, an author's first novel that actually um, received um, quite a few accolades and, and prizes. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Are you more of like a fictional or non-fictional? Yeah, I would say fictional. And yeah. and I particularly like historical fiction where they're p- picking up some element of, of true history and then sort of writing a, a storyline off of that. Yeah, amazing. I'll definitely have to give that a go. I love a good book as well myself, so that would be good to add to my list. Um, and in terms of movies, are you into movies that much? Have you watched anything you know, I recently? I haven't gone to a movie in <laughs> quite a while <laughs> since COVID. But uh, during COVID, I listened to a podcast and it was with Jane Goodall and she, her favorite movie, which then ca- caused me to, to watch it was uh, My Octopus Teacher. And so oh, it takes okay. place in South Africa and along the coast and uh, a gentleman ends up diving and then um, has social interactions with the octopus. So wow. sort of show how this octopus, you know, had uh, abilities to connect with people. And then I think I, it's particularly interesting that Jane Goodall, it was one of her favorite movies and she recommended it. So That's really cool. I've never heard of these recommendations before, but I love <laughs> hearing new things I can add to my list. That's so great. Um, and you mentioned a podcast. Um, what was the podcast called? Uh, oh, I don't remember. That was like two or three years ago. But I have another one that I listened to a couple weeks ago. Yeah, what's that, that one? Here. So it was on our national public radio and it was on water in the Colorado River and the extreme uh, drought and, and, and limitations that we have in the West because of uh, low water levels. And so this podcast was actually all about Las Vegas and some of their uh, ways of dealing with um, overuse or unnecessary use of water, particularly with lawns and conversion of, of landscapes into more desert landscapes, which is more appropriate for the environment. And I've also recently lived in Las Vegas, so I just found the overall um, topic to be interesting. And it was, yeah. a, it was a good interview with a That's variety really of people. Great. Yeah, beautiful. Um, wow, your recommendations are so much more enriching than what I would normally read or listen to. Um, so it's really great to hear that. And I've got a couple more questions uh, regarding this. So in terms of like a role model, is there someone that you look up to at all? Uh, and the the question is that a famous role model, and I, I wouldn't say I have a famous person, but in, in my t- my comments or talk today podcast, um, I talk a little bit about an aunt I had who was an avid traveler and she collected travel information and she played an important role in not just my life, but sort of my professional choices and what I chose to study um, going on and getting my PhD. Yeah, great. I'm sure we'll get into that as well, which will be great. And lastly, is there like a course you've completed that's inspired you or one that's really stuck with you? Do you mean like a course at a university or? It, it could be any sort of educational course, any sort of class, anything that you've completed. Uh, no, I can't think of anything. I mean, I think every class I took during my PhD program was important and influenced me in some way. I mean, some classes more than others. Yeah. But, I mean, it's that's... a teacher I taught. So I think, you know, being in front of the classroom and teaching young people is very central and relevant to, to my life goals and achievements. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we all learn a bit from every class or kind of course we take in life. So that's really great. And if you're okay with it, we can just dive straight into our questions for today. Um, so as I've mentioned today, we're going to be talking about travel in relation to productivity. Um, but first, I'd just like to um, ask you, so through your experience, how would you personally define personal productivity? Yeah, I see personal productivity as setting some long-range goals that you are committed to but also having short range daily goals that you're working towards and sort of picking a momentum. Um, I, I think the, the short term efforts pay dividends in sort of 
people achieving long, long range goals. And productivity is about using one's time effectively and also putting the effort in to actually reach the personal goals that you set for yourself. So to be productive, I think you have to be committed and you have to be focused. And I think efficiency has some role in what sort of productivity is. And and I'll share a little bit. There's no absolute measure of productivity when it comes to personal productivity. In a manufacturing setting, I think there is a measurable objective. But in personal, I think everyone has their own sort of pace and sort of outlook. And outlook, and it's really up to you to set your own goals and determine whether you can accomplish those and be productive. So productivity varies across people and within a person, it also varies across occasions and settings. Yeah, amazing. And I think it's so important to know that productivity is so subjective. There isn't like a one size fits all thing and everyone's got a different definition of productivity and what it means to them because everyone's doing like different things with their life. So that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's so great to like stipulate, especially at the start of this podcast. So everyone can just keep that in mind, especially as we're talking about travel, which is so individual to people. Everyone loves to travel in their own ways. Um, But before we get into the travel side of things, Um, what do you think people get wrong when it comes to personal productivity? I know we've just established that it's more individual to people, but is there anything else? I think a lack of commitment, a lack of focus, and these two situations or conditions can exist because we all have bad days or down days where we just don't feel like we've got the energy to to work on a short-term goal or to try to really reach and accomplish something in that long range um, goal setting. Uh, We also have stressors in our lives that some we can control and others we can't. And these stressors come from work, from family, from financial situations, and these can have a negative effect on personal productivity. So to be able to overcome these stressors, a person really needs to be resilient. And resilient means that they can withstand or they can recover quickly from difficult conditions. So the more resilient a person is, the more likely they are to accomplish and reach their personal productivity levels. Yeah, for sure. There's obviously going to be so many different variables when it comes to being productive. There's so many skills that you're going to need to have and be able to develop. Um, So yeah, that's really important. And I'd like to move on to our next question um, and ask you how you would define productive traveling. So going with my definition of of productivity uh, in a travel setting is to have goals and to try to accomplish them effectively and efficiently and to show sort of commitment and and focus toward travel. A vacation is supposed to be a positive experience in a person's life. It's a time to get away, it's a time to rebalance. And so, but, but positive good things don't come from travel without thinking about goals and having a, a plan or an itinerary to reduce some of the risks and uncertainty and try to maximize the positive out of, of, of travel and, and taking a vacation. So the amount of time and effort a person puts into trip planning can have a direct relationship with the productivity in a person's life that travel can actually accomplish. And one outcome of travel is just general like skills, confidence, Um, going to an unfamiliar place and I'll say mastering it, meaning not getting lost, not getting robbed, having a a great time, meeting new people. Um, These are all types of skills or outcomes that can come from travel. So productivity in travel is really related to good decision-making. And during my PhD program, I actually studied decision-making theories to try to understand how consumers or people operate and make decisions in a foreign place. And foreign meaning just a place that they've never gone to before. So it's different than a very normal, comfortable environment like home. 
Instead, it's in a new city or a new country or a new continent. And travel is like many other products in terms of the processes that people go through. And often the process starts with people assessing or evaluating that they have a need for a vacation. Maybe they're exhausted or maybe their company says you need, you know, to take your two weeks off. And so I de- so recognizing that there's a need and a vacation is going to satisfy it. And then people think about where it is they would like to go. And for some people, they have those ideas already in, in their head. They've got a consideration set that's, that's in their head of places that they would like to go. These days, we tend to call that a bucket list. So a, play, a set of places that you would like to go to either in current or nearby times, or maybe it's over an entire lifetime. And for those places, then um, our, our mind then thinks about, do we have enough information to make a decision to go to a place and to actually take that trip? And this is where I'm getting at. Productivity is highly related to information search. Because if you search for information and you answer some of your own doubts and questions, you're going to be more efficient and effective at taking a a good trip, a trip that you're going to like and that you're going to benefit from. So the more you know, the more certain you are when you go to these strange or unfamiliar places to be able to be a productive traveler. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's also relevant. And there's so much to consider when you go traveling, um, especially when you're thinking about planning. And I just wanted to ask you, um, can someone over plan or be too prepared for like going traveling, going on a vacation? Could that impede on their ability to have a good time if they're too stressed about everything just going right? Well, planning should bring down stress. So I would say, a lack of planning tends to elevate stress because you're ne- less knowledgeable. For instance, last week I was in Lima, Peru. I had never been there before. And my sister is who I was traveling with and she had made the hotel reservations and she had booked a couple tours, but she hadn't really looked at the maps of the city and in ways that we were gonna navigate. So I actually took a little bit of time and studied Google Maps so that we knew where. So. My sister and I, we sort of paired our our experience together to make a successful trip. But if we had just gone with her reservations and not studied maps, we probably would have gotten lost. We would have been spending more time just walking around or taking the wrong bus. But instead, the the information search we each did sort of separately and then sort of merged it together made for a, be- a better trip. Yeah, for sure. And I think planning always does ease people's like tensions about traveling to a new place. Um, But just in terms of like stress, can planning be stressful and what can people do to sort of deal with that stress? I do think that some planning starts looking like work. And here's where I'm going to interject my aunt. So my aunt was a global traveler and she planned trips before the internet started. I don't know that she ever was on the internet during her life, but she had a third bedroom that she collected travel information. So she would write away for brochures. She would write away for vacation guides. She would save newspaper and magazine articles, she would do like car, motor car. So she had this room that was all organized by, by state and by country. And so when she took a trip, particularly internationally, she didn't do it on her own. She generally joined a bus trip because she liked having that transportation taken care of. But she would over plan for the free time that the tours would have. And then sometimes her and my uncle would stay a couple extra days. So to some people, she looked like someone that overplanned, meaning she had just loads of information, but she like narrowed it down for her specific trip. And she made the most of every trip. 
So from her, I really learned that if you do your homework and you have the right information, you can really go anywhere you want. And a good example of that is in 1987, so I was like 28 years old, my mom and I thought we could go to China on our own without a tour guide and no like tour group. So we started in Hong Kong and really the only information we had was a Lonely Planet book on China and it was the second edition book. And we were there for over a month and used basically Lonely Planet and then asked people as we met other travelers. And with that book, we were able to go to probably the most foreign place that I could ever even imagine. It was winter. It was during their New Year's. I mean, we hit so many like hardships or like travel moments, but we were successful because we had the information and the skill set and the confidence to sort of navigate some pretty hard uh, situations at the time. Yeah, amazing. That actually sounds so cool to have done. Um, I feel like sometimes technology can take away from like the exploration sort of aspect of things these days because you could just Google an entire itinerary for your like three-day trip wherever you're going. Um, But it would be so cool to just have like a book that you go out of. So that's an amazing experience to have under your belt. Um, And into our next question, um, do you think that sort of like the disruption of like your daily routine um, can affect an individual while they're traveling, like being out of like what they're normally used to in a different sort of country, doing different things every day? I think that uh, personal lives can be, or personal lives and responsibilities can be disruptive. Um But I think the connectivity, the digital connectivity has really changed this landscape a a fair amount. And I I talked to one of my friends today who is also a global traveler. Her parents owned a travel agency and she's a consultant now. And and she shared with me that during COVID and she's a bit into retirement, that she can pretty much do her job, which is consulting some volunteer boards just by having internet connectivity and her laptop. She sometimes finds herself conducting conference calls, writing reports, uh, that all this is possible these days, that it wasn't that way um, in in earlier years. So I, I think the landscape in terms of this relationship between productive travel and personal pro- productivity is is getting stronger and is is more um, transparent, I guess, with with digital help. Yeah, for sure. I do think whilst I said before, sometimes technology can take away from the exploration aspect and like taking the initiative to find things on your own. It has made travel so much easier and it does take that stress out of, you know, planning at times as well. Um, do you think that there are any sort of misconceptions regarding travel um, based on like your personal observations? I think some of the misconceptions of technology were that people would not have vacations anymore. So by bringing your cell phone or your laptop with you on vacation, that you weren't going to like have that break uh, from work. And um, I did some research uh, on this topic in the 90s when laptops were just coming about and I mean, people were afraid of being too connected to home and and work. But I think in the the 2000s and sort of through COVID, we've really learned how to manage our time and ensure that we can be productive both on vacation as as well as at home and be sort of connected. So I I think the the miss um, the miss um, concepts are that a vacation is is a hundred percent pleasure or leisure and and I think most productive people these days learn how to sort of balance 
so that when they are done with their vacation, they're not going back to a job or a home life that sort of undoes a lot of the positive benefits of being away from home and having more sort of free time. Yeah, for sure. And I, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because there's this sort of phenomenon now of um, post-travel depression, I guess. Um, when you come back from a holiday and you're just feeling so like deflated because you've had this amazing time and you're kind of returning back to reality. Um, do you have any experiences with that or like ways people can sort of cope with coming back from like being like away from home? So I think one way of coping is to be a little bit connected while you're on your vacation or your trip. So vacations generally have some windows of free time. And for me, uh, going to South America, for instance, I had eight hour layovers in Mexico City. So during while I was on my trip, I, I still had this time that I could catch up on email and, and get some other work done. And I know when I was active as um, a professor and a mom and so forth, I always carried extra stuff with me because I never knew when I would get sort of stuck at an airport or if I'd be sitting on a plane or sometimes just getting up early with a cup of coffee and get a, getting a couple things done while I was traveling was or being a night owl and like checking email or just some of the ways to sort of um, plug some of the personal productivity into the the vacation trip so that when I got home, I wasn't so overwhelmed with the work that now needed to get done. And as you were saying, sort of undoing some of the the um, positive feelings of taking a vacation and, and um, trying to be a little bit more relaxed going back into sort of regular daily life. Yeah, for sure. And I think achieving that balance is important and reminding yourself that you do actually have a life that you have to return back to. Um, so keeping on top of that is really great. Um, and what can you say about like travel itineraries in terms of like strategies to create efficient ones? Okay. So travel itineraries play a really important role in being productive on your vacation. So a vacation can be spontaneous, which suggests that there's not too much planning or itinerary making, or they can be a very complex trip that has a lot of, of reservations that are needed and nuances. So a, a travel or vacation is made up of a lot of different services and experiences. And some of my research has shown that people first determine like where they wanna go or the possible places that they would like to go. That that's sort of a key decision point early on in this itinerary building. Next, people like to um, make decisions about transportation. How are they gonna get there? Is it gonna be by plane, train, car, boat? Um, often transportation requires reservations and prices can vary greatly. So usually the early bird gets the best prices. Then a, a third element early on in the decision-making is where will people stay? Like where, where's, where are they gonna put their head on a pillow? People don't like to feel homeless like while they're on vacation. And for instance, if one a person's going to travel in Europe this year, you could easily find yourself at seven or eight o'clock at night not finding a hotel room in a major city. So um, an example of why you need to have an itinerary and have some reservations into play. Um, what we found people uh, overplanned was what they would do with their time, sort of activities. And we found that uh, most people pick too many activities to do. And then when they get to a place, they tend to drop some of these activities because they, they, they lack the time. Maybe things were too expensive. Um, maybe they were overcrowded and, and they make uh, alternative decisions. So we called this case sort of uh, travel itineraries that are following a schema or an outline. And most people sort of think of these things as they're going through the vacation planning process. Some people are going to put it on paper and and actually like commit to it. 
but reservations are pretty important in, in, per, in terms of travel planning. Um, a couple of other elements that people think about is who's going to go with them. And generally, uh, you know, it's family and friends, and these plans tend to sort of stick. Meaning if you think you're going to go with your mom, then you're highly likely to go on a, a trip with your mom. And then another element is when people go, like choosing seasons or choosing days of the week or the length of the vacation. Um, these are all decisions that tend to be made before they leave home. And uh, another uh, sort of final element is how much people are going to spend. Like what is a person's budget and how does that look like on a per day basis or per, per person basis and can sort of what a person has in terms of a budget sort of match what a, a destination of the cost of going there. So for instance, if a family is going to go to Disney, you know, they're going to spend the time figuring out plane ticket costs, hotel costs, car rental, and entrance to, to the, the theme parks and add all that up and decide whether they can afford it or not. So these are some of the sort of micro decisions that people are making for travel and the more information search and decisions that people make, then the more likely they are to be productive and sort of happy with their vacation. And hopefully they have a little bit more information collected that if their plans change, they can sort of pivot and make um, some um, new decisions sort of on the fly. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of like, I know you were talking about people like to pick what they're going to do and then they'll sort it out that way. What happens when you've got like a massive list of like all these places you want to go to, all these things you want to do? And like you said before, they like just overshoot a bit and they think they can do all these different things. How do you go about turning that list into something that's actually viable and something you can actually do and enjoy doing? Yeah. One way is to use... Uh, uh, other travelers' blogs and recommendations to see if if they like the experience and the number of stars, meaning if if a attraction gets low stars, then it may have been on your list, but you might think about it um, and pick something else that's more highly rated. And similar to that is the number one way people get information with travel is talking to friends and family or what we call word of mouth. So just talking to other travelers on the fly about whether they visited a place and liked it or were there other places that they hadn't planned to go to that they thought were better. And it's just exchanging information and, and making better decisions while you're in a place. Of course. And I think that'll help a lot in terms of just maximizing the most out of your experience as well. Um, and to our next question, um, when you're traveling with a group, for example, do you think it's better to split like the planning across all people? Or what if someone decides that they want to take it upon themselves to plan the entire thing? I think it's a good idea to get all people on the trip involved. So you get everyone's interests and budget and expectations uh, together so that a, a trip, a trip can be versatile enough to sa satisfy everyone without everyone doing the same thing. Um, you might stay in the same hotel, but go off and, and do different things. And the travel groups and travel dynamics change over a person's life. So a, a trip that you might take as a 20 year old sort of college student or backpacker is going to be a bit different than one you might take when you're 40 or with a family and then like 60 or 70 when you're retired. So um, there's different sort of strategies for considering different social contexts of, of, of planning a trip. And as people get older, uh, we see a lot more um, set trips being taken or group trips. So for instance, uh, my recent trip to South America, um, I went to a few places that I just don't think I could have had the same kind of experience if I had planned it independently and hired my own providers. 
So um, that's a good example of taking a planned or group trip because some elements of the trip are just too hard to to find or even afford on your own. And yeah, so for that's sure. some of the work because then I relied on, you know, professionals and a company to plan everything and I just showed up. Yeah, definitely. And like, since we are talking about like independent travel, how does like that pressure with solo, like planning a trip compare to like group planning? Because obviously there's a lot less pressure on you when you've got other people contributing. But then when you're trying to do it all on your own and figure out an entire itinerary, that could be like really stressful sometimes. And could that like impede on your ability to be productive? That's where I found travel books to be really good in that space. And so a good Lonely Planet book, for instance, is really all you need. And it doesn't even have to be the latest one. Places don't change that much. And it really gives a, a seasoned traveler's perspective on a place and how to arrive, how to get around, where to stay, what to do, where to eat. Um, I have found that I really trust those writers and their their view of a place and their strategies for being productive and and doing what you want and seeing the most. Yeah, for sure. Um, and for those of us who aren't familiar with Lonely Planet, do you mind explaining it a bit more for us? Yeah, so Lonely Planet is a travel media company. Uh, it is in the same space as like Fodor's or uh, Fromer's. Uh, just travel media companies that produced books and maps, and they still do. You can find these books at libraries. You can buy them in bookstores. You can get them digitally. And then many of these brands also had magazines for a time. Lonely Planet had a great magazine, but it stopped being produced a couple years ago. National Geographic also used to have a travel magazine that was quite good, and, and that is not being um, produced anymore. So unfortunately, like travel magazines and travel sections in major newspapers, unfortunately, have sort of gone away. Um, some of them exist in a digital space, but travel books are, are still around. And I predict that they still will be because they're such a comprehensive um, tool for people to uh, use and and be successful and productive on a trip. Yeah, for sure. I know when I go into bookstores even today, like there's travel books in almost like every country that you could imagine. And they're, they're so thick and there's just so many recommendations in there. Um, and yeah, they're a great place to start when you're trying to plan a trip. Um, just going into my next question now, um, how does productive travel enhance our creativity and problem solving abilities? This relates back to decision-making and having short and long-term goals. And so a, a trip is a opportunity for, for individuals to, to be creative and to dream about visiting really any place, not just on the earth anymore, but even going into space and doing a sort of research and talking to other people and in problem solving and then taking the vacation and sort of testing whether the research you did actually worked and meeting other people along the way and asking about their travel experiences and stories and then coming back and sort of reflecting on pictures and sharing your stories with others. And I still like sending postcards so I often, you know, write my three or four sentences sort of cap capturing the essence of the trip. And so all these elements generally make people happy. Yeah, for sure. I do know that writing a postcard or some people like to do a bit of scrapbooking after their travel as well, um, which is really great. They collect little mementos from everywhere they go. They pop it in a little book. I know I like to do that myself. And it's just like a really great way to commemorate your travels, I guess, um, which is a really great way to be creative too. So um, yeah, that's really great. And um, do you think that there's anything that people forget 
when they go traveling? Like they're in a rush, like trying to plan everything. Are there like common things people forget? Ooh. Uh, I think people sometimes forget to, uh, excuse me, on this trip that I just took, we were constantly wearing different clothes for hiking and swimming and snorkeling and so forth. And a friend got home and said his like suitcase smelled and it was like, did you remember that you are swimming in the Pacific Ocean and it's salty and you probably should have like rinsed off your clothes. But I think he was on vacation. The last thing he wanted to do was laundry, you know, while he was on vacation. Um, you know, I think it's, you have to be very organized while you're on vacation, not to leave things behind. Yeah, for sure. But, um, I, I think most people are pretty good at packing. I think people bring too much stuff. I think more importantly, travelers need to look at what they brought and say, okay, next time, can I leave some of this behind? And I, I see too many people bringing huge suitcases and they, they almost paralyze themselves. I mean, they can't get through airports or transit easily just because they brought too much stuff. Yeah, I've got to say I'm guilty of that. My suitcase normally has the big sticker that says overweight on it when I go traveling. Um, so I am guilty of overpacking. Um, but yeah, I think that when we go on vacation, like our entire body and mind just goes into vacation mode. Like we forget that we have all these little things to do. For example, like laundry, like something as simple as like remembering to do that kind of stuff. We're like, oh, we don't need to do it because we're on holiday. Um, I find it's so interesting how our mind like set just totally changes um, when we leave our like homes or like our personal spaces that we're familiar with. Um, That's true. Yeah. Um, so now if you're okay with it, we're going to go into the practices and habits debrief section um, for today. So this is essentially where we're just going to ask you how you personally deal with independent travel and how you maximize your own productivity while you're away. Um, so my first question for you is, what is a practice that you do when you're traveling to be more productive? So the theme of uh, my my talk or my podcast today is really about collecting travel information so that you're smarter while you're on your vacation. So a practice that I have is I'm just constantly looking for good travel information. And I collect it sort of like my aunt did. I try to collect less than hers. And now I have digital information that that is also at my finger, fingertips. So I just find I'm very productive with any future trip because I'm just, I've got ongoing information search going and I talk to people about travel and it just helps me know where I want to go to next. And I just feel like I'm more ready to, to, to take a trip and that I don't, I don't have to spend weeks um, of like at home surfing the web, having, you know, 15 websites open, trying to figure things out, just ongoing information search makes me more productive, both before I leave home and in my decision making of where to go, as well as while I'm on a, a trip. Yeah, for sure. And how long does it normally take you to like um, plan or have like a solid sort of itinerary? Sometimes just a couple hours. Oh, wow. That's really impressive. How do you be so efficient at trying to plan? I know you've got so much experience under your belt traveling, but yeah, for those of us who are like newer to travel and just want to be more productive while we're planning, how do you go about that? I think it's finding the information sources that work for you and that are reliable. So for instance, there's a lot of um, online travel uh, companies out there like Expedia, Travel Velocity, Airbnb, uh, and using the ones that are well organized and generally help you solve your your need to book a, a room or get reservations at some attraction or find the best flight prices. And so practice sort of makes perfect. And so I don't look at everything. I really go to those 
brands that have been productive uh, for me. So I think that's an important, uh, as I've mentioned earlier, travel books, I think, uh, are very productive in that they have all the information you need. And you mentioned sometimes they're really thick. If they're really thick and I'm only going to one place in a country, I don't bring the whole book. I generally make Xerox copies of just the pages that I need. And so I lighten my my load and I check the book out from the library or I leave a book that I bought um, at home and, and just bring the information I need. Yeah, perfect. That's really useful as well. And just out of curiosity, um, how often do you travel every year? Oh, I'd say I take four to six significant trips every year. Wow. And are those in America or do you go like oh, overseas? International too. Yeah. In wow. the last 18 months, I've been to Antarctica. Wow. That um, is so cool. Yep. Europe, I spent like a half a year in Europe last year. That's incredible. I'm so jealous that you get to travel that often. That's really cool. And did COVID make that a lot harder for you or were you still traveling a yeah, little it bit? Did. I mean, I think international travel was was pretty uh, yeah. shut down and not available to, to many people. And I did more driving trips here in the U.S. and camping because even staying at hotels was sort of suspect in terms of the spread of the virus. So just yeah. a lot of outdoor nature, driving, hiking, biking type of experiences to get through COVID. Yeah, that's beautiful. And to hear that you're still being productive during COVID is really great. Um, so that sounds amazing. Um, do you think there are any challenges to the practices you use to um, be more productive when you travel? I mean, one challenge with information is just collecting it and not reading it and not knowing what's in the information. So I always try to take the time to actually read information so that I'm ready to go and not like standing on a street corner trying to figure something out and looking like a, a tourist that's a target for <laughs> getting robbed or something like that. So I think being ready and prepared uh, is important. Uh, sometimes uh, I end up collecting too much travel information at home and I've moved a few times in the last 10 years. So it's like, uh, I can't say all, save all this travel information. I need to sort of get rid of it. But luckily, digital information is pretty available. I think the largest challenge that travelers face is the reliance on data and cell service and or trying to find Wi-Fi along your route. And I know when I travel internationally, I generally don't have a, a global phone with phone service. So I'm sort of trying to find Wi-Fi service, you know, as I go. And I love cities that put in like Wi-Fi hotspots because you can go there. Hotels generally have Wi-Fi. My recent trip even had Wi-Fi on some of the airlines where you could connect to WhatsApp. And I found that that was really effective. And when we went to Antarctica, there was very limited internet. We didn't need to do travel planning, but just staying in touch and sort of knowing what was going on in the world. But only WhatsApp was activated. So um, these days I tell travelers, get on WhatsApp and, you know, um, Use Wi-Fi as you can, you know, get on it to communicate and do the the travel research that you still need to do, like while you're taking your trip. But otherwise, I mean, you pretty much need a, a global phone that you can have cell service everywhere. And for some people, that can be expensive or sort of unnecessary. Yeah, for sure. And that adds a huge cost, like as you said, onto your travel, but it's become so essential to be connected wherever you go in case something happens or you just need to find something. And people use maps a lot these days as well, like Google Maps and just trying to find their way around through that. Um, have you personally had any bad experiences while you're traveling that you've learned from? I have not really had any bad experiences. I've never been robbed. I've never lost my passport. Uh, for me, a bad experience is if I get like ripped off, 
because someone sort of sees me as a tourist and says, oh, you know, I, we can charge her more money. She won't even, you know, realize it. So I try to be pretty savvy on looking at prices before I buy something and sort of checking to make sure that's what they're charging me. Yeah, for sure. That's a really great one. And um, you've mentioned that you've traveled like overseas and as an independent traveler, if you are traveling by yourself, how do you deal with like the language barrier or like cultural barriers that you'll come across, especially if you're on your own and you don't really have anyone else with you? Yeah, cultural barriers are very relevant just in terms of being a a world citizen and being respectful uh, of other cultures and dressing appropriately and and knowing any taboos that might um, be inappropriate. So that just comes with the information collecting and, and reading and, and knowing. Uh, I guess I'm blessed speaking English. Um, I really don't have another language that I'm proficient at, but I think you know, English and some smiles usually get you through. And if I have travel information that's in English and I can study it, I can generally figure out like a foreign situation. And interestingly, uh, in Greece, I found that knowing the Greek alphabet from the fraternities and sororities in college sort of helped me just figure out some of the words and letters in in Greek words enough to get through. Wow, that's really interesting, actually. Um, And in terms of like dealing with like different cultures and stuff, um, have you ever found like a way to get around that in terms of personally, like have you been somewhere and someone's given you tips about how to deal with certain people or certain things you might come across? No, I can't think of a specific example. I am very uh, aware, though, of like cities that have crime issues and just large populations. For instance, in in Lima, Peru, uh, last week, my sister and I were in in the safe areas of the city, but yet we tried to stay away from places where we might be isolated by ourselves or. We had sort of our money divided in different part, you know, places um, on our body, just so if someone robbed us, you know, they wouldn't take everything. I, I think it's just being very aware of your environment and, and not trying to get yourself in an isolated uh, situation where you might be a subject of some, you know, form of crime. And, and yeah, for sure. And staying staying in places during the daylight and not doing, not going out too much at night. I think night can be a problem in in many large cities. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really great general tip for everyone traveling. And how do you think like these practices that you've developed over time impact your own personal productivity or perception like in life in general? (laughs) I think travel has given me a set of skills on how to problem solve, how to plan and problem solve in different environments. And that translates into to personal decision-making and decision-making I have to do at work. So I, th- I think just the use of information and gaining confidence and reducing uncertainty just transcends all parts of life. Yeah, amazing. Um, and you've got such a wealth of experience. So it's really great to hear your like personal approach to being productive while you travel as well. And I've taken notes of a few little tips that I'll be using when I travel now. Um, so I think we're just going to move into our questions from the audience section. So here we've just gathered a couple questions that we're going to ask you. Um, so the first one is, what are some essentials that I must be aware of as an independent traveler? Um, you know, there's emergency contacts, studying the foreign like country beforehand. Um, are there anything, is there anything else we haven't covered yet? Knowing visa rules. Mm. Uh, so knowing when you need a passport, which is pretty much all the time, uh, and studying visa rules is is really important. Uh, I've had trips across my, my lifetime that 
I had to really follow visa rules, like not staying longer than 90 days. Uh, last year in Europe, I actually got myself caught and I stayed over 90 days and I was able to leave, but then I wasn't able to come back. <laughs> uh, so that's critical. And I just returned from South America. And for instance, I would have expected to have to apply to a visa for a visa or get a visa at the airport. And both Ecuador and Peru didn't have any visa requirements for Americans. So um, every country is different for every traveler citizenry. So you really have to sort of know what passport you hold and then you need to check countries to make sure that you don't have to do anything before you leave home. And many um, people, for instance, that come to the United States, I mean, have to have applications and interviews and so forth. And it costs a fair amount of money. And you just have to know those rules because it's implicit in travel, foreign travel, that you um, follow the passport and visa rules. Yeah, for sure. I remember from experience um, when I came to study in America last year, I remember the process for getting my visa was so long and um, there's a lot you need to know um, before you decide to book a flight somewhere. So that's a really good one um, to keep aware of. Um, I would actually like to know a bit more about your little situation in Europe. You were allowed to leave, but you weren't allowed to come back into America. Yeah, Europe. Europe has a rule that you have to have, if you stayed 90 days, you have to let 90 days pass before you can go back in. Oh, okay. And it's total in a 365-day rolling average, you can only be there 180 days. And it's not just the countries in the EU. Um, other countries outside of the EU are in this Schengen policy agreement. So I was flying in and out of Switzerland, which is not part of the EU, but they, they're part of the Schengen. And I just, I, I hadn't been to Europe in a long time and it just, I, I wasn't paying attention to details and I should have been. Yeah. Fair enough though. At least you're allowed back in now. Uh, I mean yeah, but it's, it's really taken uh, having a calendar and like counting 90 days and making sure and yeah, it's yeah. Really complicated. And definitely if you're doing, you know, longer trips and visiting friends and family and stuff. I mean, 90 days is not very long, but um, as I reflect on it, these are the rules that we have in the United States for European travelers. So they're just putting the same rules back on, on U.S. citizens. Yeah, which makes sense. But that's very important to remember to keep track of how long you're allowed to be somewhere for. Um, and my next question is, what are some tips that you can give someone who's never traveled alone before? Ooh, uh, you know, again, sort of do your homework, do your research, uh, try to find some opportunities to meet up with other people on, on your trip. Um, I know I went to Alaska for my first time by myself when I was in my, I don't know, maybe 30s. And I purposely stayed at a youth hostel so that I could meet some other people uh, or going to like coffee shops to meet other travelers are, are good ways of spending some time with other people, but still having some of your alone time too. Um, if you do find a fellow traveler, just be, you know, really careful, particularly as a woman, um, and just, you know, always be thinking about safety. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's really great to put yourself out there, but there's always like the risk factor and like your own personal safety that's always at play. Um, but thank you so much for answering those. Uh, let's move into our open mic section. I'm really excited about this because um, I think I know what you're going to talk about, but um, would you like to let everyone know what you've decided to talk about today? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I um, have mentioned that I just recently came back from South uh, America and I would say it was on my bucket list to see some of the world's sort of natural wonders and cultural wonders. And so uh, I 
signed up for a group trip because I was interested in seeing the Galapagos Islands in a pretty unique way. And so uh, it was a group of 12 people through a company called Natural Habitat Adventures out of Boulder, Colorado. And we were on a 75-foot catamaran. And we were in the Galapagos Islands for seven days. And every day was full with hiking and kayaking and snorkeling and swimming and We were just very active and as was the wildlife. And so all these activities really put us uh, close to just amazing birds and marine life. And uh, I was lucky enough to have my sister with me. And then one friend found out I was going and she's like, I want to go too. And then she told another friend who told another friend. So actually half the boat was my, my friend's. And so that made it extra special. And after the Galapagos Islands, my sister and I decided to do a second trip in South America. So we went to Peru. And on this trip, it was with the same company. It was also like 10 or 11 people, so very small group. And we spent half of our time in Machu Picchu. And a highlight of that was it actually rained when, when we were there. But what we were able to experience was a double rainbow at Machu Picchu. So that was pretty uh, unique. Our guide said this doesn't happen very much. So that was um, an amazing experience. And then after Machu Picchu, we flew north and then spent uh, three or four days in the Amazon on a riverboat and then smaller boats uh, traveling the tributaries, also looking for just really unique wildlife. And we were not disappointed Um, We saw uh, just a lot of really um, amazing tropical wildlife and and vegetation and visited a couple uh, indigenous communities. So we were able to see how how they lived and how this travel company is partnering with them to try to help them improve their well-being um, through some health services and educational services. And um, that's an important way for for travel and travelers to sort of give back and, and help those uh, communities that that um, want help. I mean, a lot of uh, tribal communities um, want to be isolated, but these were communities that lived um, a little bit of a Western life and appreciated both uh, the, um, the, the money um, spending as well as sort of the visitor interactions and sharing their their lifestyle and the nature that exists around them in the Amazon. So that's been my last couple of weeks traveling in South America. Wow, that sounds absolutely fabulous. Um, What a great experience to have. Do you have a favorite place that you went to? Uh, My sister and I hiked one of the peaks around Machu Picchu. And we were the only two in the group. So I think that was a highlight of of the trip. And we were able to see Machu Picchu from sort of a different angle and perspective. Yeah, amazing. And would you recommend people do like small group travel? Does that change like the experience you have? I see South America as being a little bit harder to coordinate some of the transportation. And as we talked before, I don't speak Spanish And so a small group was a good like in-between space between independent traveler and and like a large group travel. So I I really like the the 10 to 12 people size of of a trip. Yeah, amazing. Um, That sounds so inspirational as well. You really inspired me to want to go out there and travel a bit more. Um, That sounds like just awesome. Um, And thank you so much for diving into travel with us. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Um, It's so relevant now, especially that we're out of COVID and everyone's just traveling. Everyone's going to Europe this year, um, which is really great. And I think we've just gotten a few more tips about traveling, which will be amazing to use. And I think we all know how to be a bit more productive now. So thank you so much for joining us today. And for those who want to find out a bit more about you, uh, where can they go? It could be like a website, social media. I would say uh, the website for the center that that um, I I work with, and that is the Center for Sustainable Tourism at Arizona State. 
beautiful and amazing. And if you didn't catch that, we've also got Christine's details down in the description below for you. Um, thank you again for being here. And to our listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you're using. And we'll see you guys next time. You've been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this show, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pp.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.